Good morning, City Light. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. We've spent the last couple weeks walking through the book of Habakkuk, looking at what it means to have faith when life's not fair. And it's felt a little bit like a soap opera to me. Any of you guys watch soap operas? You can be honest. God can forgive even for that, okay? (laughs) That's a joke. Soap operas, those series, they thrive on unexpected twists on shocking scenes. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when the girl can't stand the guy and he's not real fond of her either. And so they shout and they stomp and they fight and then they kiss, right? It's shocking. I don't know about you. In my experience, life never happens that way. Real life just doesn't do that. I'm in a fight. I don't get a kiss. Okay, that's reality for me. But it makes for a good soap opera because it's kind of shocking. It's unexpected. That's Habakkuk. It's shocking and unexpected. It feels like a twist that you just didn't see coming. Let me show it to you. In chapters 1 and 2, we see this question and answer session, this complaint session from Habakkuk toward God. There's a fierce enemy people coming to conquer God's people, and Habakkuk complains. God, why aren't you moving? How long do we have to cry until you'll save us? And God responds to Habakkuk. He says, hey, man, I am moving. I'm just doing something that you wouldn't believe. I'm raising up your enemy. Now, that in itself is sort of shocking and unexpected, and it evokes this whole new complaint from Habakkuk. He says, God, don't you see what's happening? Your enemies are going to conquer your people. Evil is winning the day. Will you let this go on forever? And God replies again, no, 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 Habakkuk. Watch and wait. Watch and wait. Evil will not win forever. My enemies will not win forever. God actually says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Everywhere, everyone. You can just feel Habakkuk's wrestle. God's people, Habakkuk's people, they're about to be conquered, and yet God is saying that everyone, everywhere, is going to know him, is going to know his glory. How does that happen if God's people are wiped out? That's chapters one and two. It's just questions and answers. It's complaints and responses. And then chapter three is a total change. Habakkuk's words are just completely different. He moves from worry to worship. He moves from stress to song. He moves from protesting to praising. It's just like this unexpected, shocking twist in the book. What happened? God didn't say that the danger would end. God didn't say that he would stop the enemy. God never said that tomorrow would be a better day for Habakkuk or his people. And yet Habakkuk's whole perspective changed. It's kind of like a soap opera. This is an unexpected twist. It begins with shouting and stomping and fighting, right? With worry and stress and protest. And then abrupt change. Verse 
worship and song and pray, praise. Habakkuk literally breaks into song during a prayer. And if I'm going to shoot straight with you this morning, I just didn't get it. What switch flipped in Habakkuk's heart to initiate that change? What happened? I just couldn't see it. I looked and I prayed and I studied. I couldn't find it on my own. And then one night I was laying in bed and my son Asher walks into the room. It was after bedtime. He was thirsty or something. As he's getting his drink, he said, Dad, I heard you and uh, Pastor Doug are going through Habakkuk at church, so I decided to read it. He's nine years old, cracked open his Bible in bed, turned on his lamp, read all three chapters. And I, he, okay. And he didn't know anything about Habakkuk's time or place. He didn't know who the Chaldeans were. He didn't know much about any of that. And so a lot of the book didn't make any sense to him, but he read it anyway. And so I said, Ash, hey man, what stood out to you most as you read that? And he answered the last verse of chapter two. That was a way more specific response than I expected. So I had to read it. This is what it says. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And I got kind of excited and I asked Asher, and what was it about that verse that made it stand out? And he said, I don't know, Dad, it's just pretty cool that when God's in the temple, everybody's quiet. That's a pretty powerful God. And my nine-year-old son saw what I couldn't see. God's last words to Habakkuk were a picture of himself. Habakkuk was wondering, God, where are you? When will you move? When will you hear? When will you see? When will you save? God, we're suffering and struggling. This isn't fair. Where are you? And the last verse of chapter 2 shows us that God was where he always had been. He was in his temple. And that word for temple in Hebrew, that could also be translated palace. It means God was in his throne like a king is in, God was in his temple like a king is in his palace. God was on the throne. God hadn't left. He wasn't distracted. He wasn't caught off guard. He wasn't ignoring his people. God wasn't in danger. He wasn't about to be taken over. God was on the throne. That's what Asher saw and Habakkuk saw that I just couldn't see. To say it like a nine-year-old boy, it's pretty cool that when God is on the throne, when he's in the temple, everybody's silent. His glory and majesty, his power and authority left the whole earth speechless. God is epic, right? My son saw it. I got a taste of this speechless awe of God several years ago. My wife and I lived on the very west end of Council Bluffs, uh, like less than a half mile from the river. It was our first house. I had a new job. We had a new baby girl. We were fixing up this new to us home. We were hashtag adulting, right? Putting down roots. It was a fun season, but it was the summer of 2011. And something happened that summer. Anybody remember the summer of 2011? That river, less than a half mile from our house, 
it flooded and it threatened to flood really badly. It raced within just inches of the top of the levee and that was bad news because authorities said that it was supposed to stay that high for weeks and that levee that stood between that flood and our house, that levee was made out of dirt. It was designed to hold for like flash flooding type crises, not long-term weeks, long crises like we were uh, having. And that meant that it could uh, deteriorate, it could get destroyed, and it could break. And the authorities told us that if the levee broke near our house, we would have just minutes until there were eight or ten feet of water right where we live. Just minutes is not enough to pack up a toddler boy and an infant girl and get out in time before you're trapped. Guys, I was stressed out. Like that constant nagging kind of stress that never stopped thinking about it because you can't do anything about it kind of stress. The river was rising. I was stressing. And I remember that summer, uh, one evening, going for a walk by myself. And I walked to the middle of the pedestrian bridge, staying on the Hawkeye side, of course. And uh, I looked out over the river, and I saw it brushing against the top of the levee. And I saw the current racing down the center. And after I looked at that for a while, I looked in the direction of my house. I could just see it from the bridge. I wondered what would happen if that levee broke and the current shifted. In that moment, guys, I felt small. And I felt helpless. And I felt scared. As I stood over that river, it seemed so much bigger than me. It seemed so much more powerful than me. What was coming at me had no regard for me or my family. It was rushing and I was stressing. And as I stood there, all I could do was complain to God. God, we're just getting started. What would happen to my family? I can't stop it. I don't know if this levee could stop it. Where are you, God? What are you doing? And in that moment, he reminded me of a psalm. This does not happen often, but that night it did, and it was super clear. It was Psalm 29, and this is what it says. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Where God does not sit reigning over from his earth. In that moment, God took my eyes off the river beneath me and directed them to the stars above. You know, the Bible says that God holds the entire universe in the palm of his hand, the span of his hand, like from his pinky to his thumb. God holds the whole universe right there. And as he directed my eyes to the stars and these verses start coming to mind, I I look down at the river and what moments before seemed so big and so powerful compared to God, it just seemed so small. I couldn't protect my family. That levee might not be able to protect my family, but that raging river was no match for my God seated on his throne. That night, 
my prayers made a hard shift. I walked to that bridge worrying and stressing, complaining and protesting. And then God says, no, Eric, I am on the throne. And I walked home worshiping and rejoicing that my God sat enthroned. There's a hard shift. Man, guys, when life's not fair, it's easy to fix our eyes on what's coming at us. For Habakkuk, it was enemies on the march. For me, it was a river raging and rising. We've all had those experiences. Habakkuk's hard shift came when he caught a vision of God on the throne. And that vision sparked a prayer song from Habakkuk's heart that came out in three parts. They were, looked like this. Habakkuk remembered, he kept it real, and he rejoiced. Okay, tried to get three R's there. Remembered, kept it real, he rejoiced. He remembers what God has done. He's still honest about his fear, what might happen, and he rejoices in God who sits on the throne. All right, I want to look at each of these things And uh, that's where we'll spend the rest of our time. Habakkuk starts by remembering what God has done. So he said he'd heard about God's work. He knew his story wasn't the first story where things went from bad to worse. Things didn't seem fair to him, but he knew that this wasn't the first time life wasn't fair. Habakkuk had heard reports that God had entered in to other people's stories And he knew if God had done that before, he could do it again. And so he says, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. It's like Habakkuk is saying, I've heard what you've done, God. Would you do it again? Let us see it right now in our years. God, would you remember? And then Habakkuk reminds himself of the reports of God. He walks through some of the great acts of God in history. He starts when the people of Israel gather at the foot of Mount Sinai to meet God. And he remembers that as they showed up, the mountain was wrapped up with dark smoke and clouds that covered the whole mountain and rose up into the sky. And as God made his way down, lightning flashed forth, breaking the darkness and retreating again. And from the clouds and the smoke, trumpets sounded. There's nobody on the mountain, but somebody was blaring the trumpet And man, as as that happened, the smoke came, the lightning flashed, the thunder boomed, the trumpets blared, and the, the mountain and the skies trembled. And that stuff didn't happen because some people walked up to the mountain. We couldn't make a mountain shake. All that stuff happened because God showed up on the mountain. He did it. When God shows up, even the skies and the mountains tremble. Habakkuk remembered how the people of Israel were uh, set free from slavery in Egypt. He remembered there were ten plagues on the people of Egypt. There were swarms of locusts and gnats and frogs. The river turned to blood. The sky turned dark. And in the end, the firstborn son of every family in Egypt who refused to honor God died. 
and Pharaoh finally set God's people free. What did the Israelites do to get set free? They didn't rise up and revolt in their own strength. They didn't negotiate a good deal with their best diplomacy. What did the Israelites do? Nothing. God did it. He set them free. God saved them. Habakkuk remembered Joshua fighting against the Amorites, trying to obey God's command to wipe out all of the sinful people in the land. Now, God's people were vastly outnumbered, but the battle was almost in hand. And as Joshua's getting ready for victory, he sees the sun is setting on one horizon and the moon is rising on the other. And he thinks, oh no, I could win this thing with just a few more hours of daylight. And so he prayed. And you know what happened? The sun and the moon stood still. The day, the day persisted and Joshua won. How does that happen? Joshua couldn't stop the sun or the moon. He couldn't adjust the cosmos to extend daylight for a few hours. Joshua didn't do that. God did that. God did all of those things. He sits enthroned. Friends, Habakkuk remembered. I might say it like this. The present can be blurry, but the past is 2020. You know what I'm saying? The present can be blurry, but the past is 2020. When life is unfair and there's not enough money in the bank and the love is gone and there is no exit strategy and it looks like tomorrow is going to be worse than today, what do we do? What do we do when we can't see it all, when life's not fair? We remember what God did in the past. When we can't see him before us, we look behind us. God doesn't change. Dan said it before. Who he was yesterday is who he is today and who he will forever be. And so for some of us, talking about God, I think uh, remembering God and talking about what he's done, for some of us, it just looks like remembering our own testimony. What has God done in your life? For me, it looks like remembering that night on the bridge. For me, it looks like remembering when I was young, I had a surgery on my sinuses and I lost my sense of smell. And then several years later in college, I was just wrestling with my faith. I was praying, asking God, would you reveal yourself to me? I need to know that you're real. And in the middle of that prayer, I started smelling apples. I hadn't smelled for six years. I prayed, asked God to reveal himself to me. He answered by healing me. I don't know how that lands on you guys, but for me, it was an answer to prayer. God was saying, Eric, I am real. You, if you have memories like that, you know God was with you. Don't forget those. Don't let them fade. Let them spur on your faith, right? We remember who God is. But my guess is that for some of us, we just don't feel like we can see God in our story yet at all. For some of us, the whole thing seems blurry. Maybe the pain from your childhood feels just as real today as it did back then. Maybe the baggage that you carry feels like baggage you have always carried. And you wonder, God, have you ever been there? If that's you... Let Habakkuk encourage you this morning. None of the things he remembered were his experiences. 
Not one of them. Everything he remembered happened to somebody else. In other words, he remembered somebody else's memories. He remembered what God had done in somebody else's life. I want to give you a couple ways that we can remember other people's memories. When we can't see God ourselves because the present is so blurry, how do we look back? We can remember other people's memories. Two ways you can do that. First, read the Bible. That is where Habakkuk's memories came from. They were all in God's word. They were stories that had been told over and over again, appearing on the mountain, leading the slaves out of Egypt, stopping the sun. They're amazing acts of God, but it's just three. The Bible was written by 40 authors on three continents spanning about 2,000 years. It is rich. There's so many more. Read the Bible, God's word, and you can remember other people's memories. The other way that we can remember other people's memories is we embrace community. We we try to do that around here. It, It looks like putting yourself in situations where you get to hear about God's work in other people's lives. It looks like pursuing friendships with people who have stories about God at work in their hearts. It looks like finding others who are in a life's not fair season and you just look for God together. For us, this is part of the reason we do city groups. My own city group, we spend one week a month on this, uh, uh, on this thing. We call it our core, one of our core values in its community. We spend one week a month just focusing on this. And it looks like some weeks we have somebody share their story of where they were before they knew Jesus, how they met him, and where Jesus is working in them right now. Other weeks, we ask questions trying to celebrate what God has done. We literally ask, what are you celebrating right now? How have you seen God moving in your life? And we just share. Other weeks, we try to tap in and say, man, where do you need to see or long to see God working? We ask Questions like, what are the front burner issues you're facing right now? What's the biggest deal in your life? And we do that hoping that we get a bigger picture of God when we see him working in each other's lives. I'm going to be honest, most of the time it is not profound stuff. Most of the time what we talk about is like, my kids don't obey, it stresses me out and I don't know what to do. Right? For God, but my schedule is crazy. I want more time for God, but I don't know where to find it. It looks like I think God is teaching me that I'm not in control, and I don't know how to handle that. Right? It's not profound stuff. It's just real life stuff. And it's so helpful to know somebody else is dealing with the same thing you're dealing with. God has entered into somebody else's story just like you're longing for him to enter into your story. And when the present is blurry, we remember the past. Your own memories, somebody else's memories. We read the Bible, we embrace community, vision of God on the throne, and he remembered. Um, After he remembered, he just admitted to God that he was still nervous, right? He kept it real Look at what Habakkuk says. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. 
for Habakkuk, God is on the throne and the enemy is on the march. God is on the move and the enemies are moving in. Habakkuk praised God while his knees shook. For me, his honesty is just super helpful. It reminds me that it's okay to be human. It's okay to be real. Even Jesus told his friends, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God knows who you are. And so this morning I would say, man, if you're lifting your prayers with a shaky voice, pray anyway. If you hit your knees in part because you want to pray and in part because they just can't hold you up anymore, you are in good company. That is right where Habakkuk was. My legs tremble beneath me. You don't have to hide that. You don't have to be ashamed of it. Habakkuk was shaking, and that wasn't wrong. It was real. Habakkuk remembered who God was, and he was honest about where he was, right? He was nervous. He told God about that. Um, So Habakkuk remembered. He kept it real, and maybe the most shocking twist in Habakkuk comes at the very end, the most abrupt, unexpected change. The book began with Habakkuk's complaints to God, and it ends with this extreme confidence in God. Now, walk with me through his last words. This is how he begins. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. There is nothing left. Habakkuk knows what's coming, right? It's going from bad to worse. His people are about to lose everything. Nothing has changed since Habakkuk started complaining. Not one thing. God didn't promise to stop the siege. He didn't say there would be no pain. In fact, he said, count on it. It is coming And I just, if it's me, I expect more complaining. I expect more protesting. I expect more despair, but that's not what Habakkuk does. It's not where he goes. Look at how his heart changed. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom and we lose everything, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. What does Habakkuk do? He sings to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is to the worship leader and his guitar. Dan, strike up the band. The lyrics are set. Though the fig tree should not blossom, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Right? Though I have no food on the shelves, no milk in the fridge, no customers at the register, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I'm about to get dominated by my worst fears, yet God the Lord is my strength. I'm about to get knocked as low as I can possibly imagine, yet I know God's going to make me dance on the mountaintops one day. Guys, I don't know about you, Habakkuk's whole world is falling apart and we see him here rejoicing in God. How does that happen? How does he get there? I think he stood in awe of God on the throne like a nine-year-old boy who just sees it and says, man, 
If God sits in his temple and the whole earth is quiet, that's a pretty powerful God. God is on the throne. He's not, he's not God. God holds the universe in the palm of his hand. He's a king. He's the king that even the sun and the moon obey. The king who sets his captives free. The king who sits enthroned over the flood. The king who's in control even when the fig tree doesn't blossom and we lose everything. The king whose power and glory will bring the whole earth to silence. Habakkuk rejoiced because God is his king. And in just a few minutes, we're going to invite you guys to take an opportunity to rejoice the way Habakkuk did, to embrace faith uh, like Habakkuk's kind of faith. We're going to end this morning by singing the old song, How Great Thou Art. Around here, you may notice we sing with the lights on. They don't go dim. We don't like spotlight. These guys, we sing with the lights on. Why do we do that? In part, we do that so that we can see each other. We get to see living, breathing evidence that God is still at work. So when you stand to sing, you will stand among people who are carrying life's burdens just like you are. Anxiety, depression, sickness, addiction, fear, isolation, the list goes on and on. And you're going to get to stand and join that chorus and sing lyrics like this. And when I think, when I remember, like Habakkuk remembered, that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. It makes my knees tremble that God would do something like that, that on the cross, my burden, my stress, my sin, my uh, experience when life's not fair, all the things that are wrong in my life, all the blurriness that I can't see, that on the cross, my burden, gladly bearing, he, Jesus, bled and died to take away my sin. And when I remember that, then sings my soul, I'm going to make a hard shift, from remembering all that's going on in my life and seeing what's coming at me to seeing the God enthroned in the heavens then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. When Habakkuk remembered, he told God, you go out for the salvation of your people. And friends, we're gonna remember that we know something Habakkuk didn't know. God came out of heaven. He went out of heaven for the, our salvation. He sent Jesus who stepped out of heaven to wrap himself in flesh like ours and take his burdens with him to our burdens with him to the cross and there he died. God's promised savior was dead. God's man was conquered. It looked like God had lost. People wondered, God, where are you? But even then, God was on the throne. And his son did not stay dead. He rose again from that grave, said hi to about 500 of his friends, and then ascended back into heaven. He entered the heavenly temple again and sat down at the right hand of his father. Folks, Jesus is in the palace. God is still on the throne. And we get to stand and sing that together. Though the fig tree should not blossom, we can rejoice. When life isn't fair, we remember who God is. When our knees shake, we cling to faith in God our King. Friends, remember and rejoice. Our God is in the temple, 
and he is still on the throne. Amen? Will you guys pray with me? Great and awesome God, I just need to confess to you this morning, I need this. I am so prone to forget who you are and where you are. I think things like, man, God, if I don't do well enough today, if I don't stop all of those bad things that I was doing and start doing new good things, you're going to reject me. You're going to be disappointed in me. I'm not going to earn your favor. God, I start to think that you're like a genie in a magic lamp that Man, I, I go to you when I need something, and I just rub that lamp, and you need to respond. And when you don't, I wonder, God, where are you? What are you doing? God, I'm prone to see the things coming at me as bigger and stronger and greater than me and than you. So I need books like Habakkuk. God, I need to see these rhythms of the faithful who remind themselves who you are and where you are. You are the king on the throne. You sit enthroned over all the earth, over all the universe, over all of our problems, over all of our questions, over all of our complaints. God, you are on the throne. You haven't left. You haven't abandoned us. You haven't stopped listening to us for the salvation of your people. God, I pray that you would make us in this room right now a people who remind ourselves often who you are. That we would know that we know that we know that our God is a king on the throne. And that because we know who you are, that we're set free from all of the, all of the fears and stress and burdens of this world. It doesn't mean that our knees don't shake. It just means that we get to rejoice in you even when they do. God, would you give us confidence we can turn to you in our darkest moments because your light flashes and breaks through the dark. God, I need a king like you. Would you take away, expose, destroy all the other kings, my heart and ours? God, would you get the throne, not just in heaven, but in our hearts, now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.